The Kern Institute Podcast Network. From the Medical Education Matters Podcast, I am Herodotus Elinas, one of the co-hosts. And today I have the privilege to have the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Chancellor, Dr. Mark Moni, who is uh, going to help me understand some of the roles that he has participated in, but also help me in providing some educational support for prospective educators. Welcome, Mark. Thank you again for joining me. I'm delighted to be here, Dr. Lyonis. Thank you for having me. So let's start by, I think, a general question that probably many people ask. What's a chancellor? Well, that's a fun question because it is it is for a lot of people in our country. What are you, in uh, uh, Europe or something? You know, what are you, are you the, like a prime minister? It's actually the same thing as a president. Um, it's the top-ranking official and leader of the university. So I'm involved with fundraising, cultivating relationships with donors and elected officials, you know, really trying to raise fun, funds for, for our campus and provide other support. I'm also responsible for the long-term vision and the goals of our campus. And I really wanna help with my team who are vice chancellors, help them manage the overall administration, the academic affairs. And of course, in that role, both locally and nationally, I'm involved with a lot of public speaking, a lot of different activities to serve on boards of directors, committees, all aimed at, in my um, you know, goals, really how do we best serve our students and the broader educational needs in our community, region, and state, and beyond. What an admirable role, but also what a challenging role. Certainly, you've been successful, I know, with the philanthropic part for sure, especially in the last couple of years and even during COVID when we all have had our challenges in education. I know you've been in the role since 2014 and you have evolved from being an educator to more of what you're describing, a public speaker, an administrator, a philanthropic and I'm curious of your challenges, perhaps, and opportunities on the way to that role. So you started perhaps in the classroom. Now you're mostly an administrator. Has that been difficult to achieve? Well, I didn't set out to become the chancellor, and that may be of interest to, to listeners. Um, but yeah, there have been challenges and a lot of wins along the way. As you know, typically to move up, in higher ed, or frankly, in any organization, you have to move. And my wife is very happily employed in, um, uh, as it turns out, the Medical College of Wisconsin. And she she um, has often said, as I've had other opportunities around the country, um, you know, if you want to be a single uh, parent from afar or that type of thing, go for it. So, so it's kind of kept me at UW-Milwaukee. I came here in 89, like you said, as an assistant professor, went through the traditional ranks, associate full professor over the next 10 years, and started doing administrative work. And along the way, um, I was an associate dean, and many people thought that I was going to become the dean. And I was a finalist, and I didn't get the job. 
And it was really puzzling. It was, you know, campuses are, if nothing else, quite political. It was an interesting dynamic. And then some years later, I became the chancellor when, so it's kind of like, a, you know, it's not really a joke. There's a lot of truth to that, to this. When I should have been, and most people thought I would become the business school dean, I I, be, I didn't get it. But then when I was such a long shot to become the chancellor um, and I got it, it was like, you can't explain this rationally. Um, so organizations like ours are not exactly um, objective and, and purely perfect. But I, I do think, um, you know, along the way, there's been a lot of challenges and obstacles in higher ed. And what I've really enjoyed is trying to bring groups of individuals together to resolve them. And we will never, you know, this will be a long-term journey when we talk about greater graduation, greater uh, retention, greater outcomes. We have made wonderful progress, particularly around bringing some of the equity gaps close, um, some of the progress that we want to continue to make. We're a university that's unique. We have a top-tier research ranking. We're a research one. But we also have an equity and access mission that is hardwired into our DNA. Those two can work together in a complementary way. That's what I try to do, but it's not easy. Resources, as we've both talked about and live in a world of very challenging resources. There's the top one or 3% that don't have to worry about that as much, but we're not in that world. So we're in a lot of that um, you know, challenging environment around financials, the politics, just the world that, that we're in today. Demography is not our friend. Um, there's fewer uh, high school graduates and things uh, like that. The 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 cost of higher education and, and those types of things. And I think that that's true in medical as well as, um, you know, the traditional academic worlds. And I'm intrigued by a couple of things that you mentioned, Mark. Um, one of them, demogra demography you know, of where we live makes a difference because we know that segregated cities as such as Milwaukee and cities, even in Minneapolis, where I am today, have had their troubles with equity and the ability to support both our educators, but also our learners, students, in order to um, make it to the finish line is not as simple. You're a first-generation graduate. I am also curious from your perspective and some of the initiatives that you've created or co-led, one of them, the M-Cubed, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about it and maybe extrapolate how we can do something similar in medical education and medical curriculum or environment or platform, whatever you may want to call that. Absolutely. So why I'm so passionate about bringing education to all who exist in our respective communities is that I saw personally, without anybody in front of me, but experienced firsthand the doors that were open because of having an education. And I say that as somebody who really was growing up in the 1960s and 70s, and not everybody had an education. Certainly in my family, there was nobody who had a two or four year degree. So I was the first one through. And the reason I did that is I was working for an organization that said you had to, but I was finding that I was ceilinged out. I didn't have opportunities. And once I got that degree, it opened up a whole new world. And then ultimately I went and pursued more degrees because I fell in love with learning. But I come to cities 
like a Milwaukee or I've been in Seattle or I've been in other cities, Denver and, and places in the, in the West. And you see a lot of haves and have nots. You fundamentally have individuals who we look at in Milwaukee, the correlation between education and uh, income. We look at home ownership. We look at um, incarceration rates. And ultimately, I've done a study that looked at mortality and, and life health outcomes. And we know from social determinants of public health outcomes, we see how important education, stable homes, family incomes, the ability to have insurance, access to health care, all of those things are in two zip codes in Milwaukee, 53206, one of the most impoverished in the country against 53217, one that's not the wealthiest, but it's affluent. The life expectancy difference is 11.7 years. That's a moral imperative. And so that's the kind of thing that as I look at and work, and I'm privileged to be the chancellor to work with partners that get it. So I work today in M cubed, which stands for Milwaukee Public Schools, the M for MPS, the M for Milwaukee Area Technical College, and the M for UWM, Milwaukee. The three of us work and achieve exponential outcomes in terms of the pipeline from students who go from a K-12 to a technical college to a four-year institution. It's a pipeline. It's a long game. But I've been here. I'm in my 35th year. So I can say what we've achieved over the last 10 years in terms of the graduation rate, We've helped increase it 11%. And I'm talking about a public school district that is 90% black and brown that go on to MATC, which is about 60%. It's a minority-majority campus. And we, as the most diverse four-year academic education institution in the state of Wisconsin, two-year, four-year public-private, we're the most diverse to have that type of opportunity to bring together individuals that are working on graduation and continuation in college for greater outcomes for greater home ownership, for career opportunities. And the neat thing is all our students across these three institutions are from here and they largely stay here. So we're really contributing. I have 205,000 alumni, the majority of whom are still north of 80% are still here in Wisconsin and surrounding states, Minnesota, Illinois, uh, and so forth. So so they really populate uh, the, the workforce in, in critical ways. I want to help bring what I oftentimes call the two Milwaukee's, those who have and those who do not, together. And that's a big part of our mission. It's part of our DNA and significant commitment. And we bring a lot of people, the coalition of the willing, I always say, we bring them together and we have nice, tangible outcomes on a lot of different areas. Now, the pandemic set us back, set up all education. I just saw an article again today about we're not recovering from that learning, K-12 and, and elsewhere, preschool, all of that, it just really um, put a put a hammer on a lot of the advancements around math, reading, and other things. But we are persevering, and we'll, we will recover, but um, we need your help on the medical side to continue to help keep keep uh, those those uh, dragons at bay. Yeah, it, it's so interesting to me, Mark, you, you know, being, again, the first generation um, college graduate. And for me, it's my I'm the first doctor in the, you know, the vicinity in my family. And the only, my brother and I are the first graduates from college. So we have very similar background and working to the higher education piece in order to both understand the complexity, but also achieve that higher level. But we're both white. And I think it's 
we we bring some of the aspects that are very difficult the equity part the um whether it's uh, race religion ethnicity whatever we want to call it i think it's it's very challenging and it's been challenging in the medical education platform in order to bring the professors that are either Native American or Black and work on that DEI part. And of course, our country has been all over the place with political aspect, mm -hmm. not necessarily looking at the human beings, but looking at the political world. So I know we can spend a whole hour just on that. It's, um, to me, I think the piece that you brought up is this long-term pipeline. How did you make it? A success because we are trying in medical education we're trying in that platform and it's not always successful it's you know we find the hurdles and then people say i'm just you know calling out and it's all deaf ears yeah i think there's two key pieces and and you asked the question i didn't prep this is just right off the cuff and i'll tell you the two key things you have to have alignment with willing and capable leaders and i'm very fortunate that i have had um not just in not just on our campus i'm talking about the constituents the, the different partners the community there has to be a need so we have a lot of friends and a lot of partners but principally the leaders of those three institutions we had to come together and ultimately build trust and develop develop that working relationship it's never a given even if you can meet and say yeah we're all on board um, there's a process and it takes time. So that's one piece. And the other is having infrastructure and having committed goals, work groups, leaders at different levels. And frankly, what I consider leaders at all levels, um, you know, individuals can come forward as a faculty member and bring a lot of other folks with them or not. Um, but they have to be able to to bring, you know, their, their um, successful work to others. So let me give you an example. We all have math in our curricula from K-12, technical, and higher ed. But we were having problems because what was being taught in high school was not lining up with the technical college or the K-12. So we have been able to bring faculty together and have Saturday afternoon workshops or Wednesday afternoon in-session learnings where we have hundreds of faculty learning with and from each other and driving into curricular changes. We have parent workshops because as you know, in a K-12 environment, parents aren't the mom and dad that you might've had. It may be grandma is the mom, grandma is the parent, or it may be your aunt or your big sister is the parent. We've had, I mean, you name the formulas. It's, it's you know, it's it's grandma and grandpa are the, are the caretakers of six kids and they're living with three families. And and so the the challenges that we face uh, around technology access, the so-called technology deserts, the um, access for, you know, we have schools that we work with and some of our own charter schools, 15 and 20% of the students are homeless. These are, these are uh, significant realities. So we have a lot of support systems and there's a lot of different components that lead to our successes over time. And it's a never ending challenge. I can tell you as much as we've made progress, we still have a lot of room for improvement. There's still a number of individuals that we have to reach and and, and be able to to get at long term. 
And just graduation alone isn't enough. It's oftentimes the quality of that graduation that prepares people for careers, prepares people for further education. So we're working on the quality as well as the quantity side of things. And it's an all-in effort. So those two things, leadership that is aligned and then the infrastructure that has the systems and and um, this is where I think you know some of my background in management and organization helps with regard to understanding what it takes to translate vision and aspiration into operational details, how you form the committees, the work groups, and things like that. So so it's been um, first years of building that trust and infrastructure, and then continuing to execute and have constant discipline, regular meetings, having three leaders of these institutions meet regularly and say, this is important. This is a priority for us. Pedal to the metal, focus, um, uh, recognizing that it represents one, three, four percent of our available time, you know, given all the other responsibilities that we have. I think the the pieces that touched me is I'm going to go back 15 years ago when we first met. Um, I was a chief resident in the Department of Anesthesiology, and I remember you talking to us during the chief resident symposium, and I thought, wow, what a gifted leader who is down to earth, who is just a kind person who cares about the quality of education and beyond. You mentioned we create these pipelines and many times we say, okay, we're going to start from here. We're going to put you on this train. And then the destination is X. Well, what's beyond that? Because we graduate them and then we say, well, okay, now what? So I remind people that is the destination and beyond that matters, not just the destination. The, the other part that I think part of your core value is trust. And you mentioned that again, and that was part of, I think, your integrity, your gift in managing and organizing are pieces that are part of you. It's your leadership style. And I think it's it has brought a very different perspective in education. I am curious about your take and how do you put that together? How do you use those core values that you believe in and you bring them to the platform of education and beyond? Well, let me first say you were, when we first met, not only an outstanding student, but you've become a remarkable educator. We've been fortunate to work with other chief residents, you and I, um, and I've seen your training and I know how much people care about you and how you you um, really are, are a wonderful role model. So I'm delighted to, to have your, your uh, kind words in, in my way. I think that, you know, if you look at, uh, and this is, this is perhaps why I was a, in a previous career, a chef, and and food and beverage director and manager. I like taking care of people. I care. I, I nurture. I you know. However that came about, there's probably some some interesting depth and reasons behind that in terms of how we're we're raised. But that carries over in terms of how I look at what are what are the the important issues. And and I look at in in our case the platform 
that really does embody my values that, that that aligns well fortunately with our campus's mission and that's to provide access to education because of the life changing the transformative effects that it has on society and i've been very fortunate in administrative roles to be able to help create teams because you can't do this alone you 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 are only as good as your teams you're only as good as your your employees and you just need to help develop them and get out of their way hire good people uh create as many possible rewards for them and and not always tangible rewards but development opportunities and let them shine and realize what's in the best interest of students um, obviously we are businesses we have to worry about the financials we have to think about those things and we never have enough resources create opportunities for students success for faculty and staff success and um uh, it's it's really great now what gets in the way of that the obstacles is sometimes it's human nature turf um territory um, um, people that are looking out for their own interests as opposed to the teams or the larger organization i have had um the fortune to work with as a consultant as a researcher as a as a faculty you know a lot of organizations to work through those and so i think learning from those experiences has probably also benefited my uh experience here as a leader at uwm and has has continued to contribute to to the successes that we've had um but as much as i take pride in those i'm not blind to the fact that we have every day going back to your comment about demography we have you know between demography and the cost of education and some of the social dynamics that are not in favor of education people questioning the value um you know it's frightening and concerning uh, that we're even having these conversations uh, and i know some of it is there's alternatives to education right now there's a hot job market people can make a fair amount of money i get it but boy that doesn't bode well for the country when we think about the attributes of an educated society on so many different dimensions and i'm not even talking about productivity and economic competitiveness and national security just at a at a human level in terms of individuals who contribute more they vote more they they um are able to volunteer and have healthier communities on so many different physical and 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 emotional levels so so those are the things that if you can't tell they're embedded so much in terms of what i really care about and try to hire people and reinforce individuals around me who can move that way and if they can't then there may be other organizations for them and we find places but we generally have done a pretty good job with selection and and moving people forward well it's certainly mark you have that leadership style that attracts people but you also have as you said that back you know subconscious agenda perhaps or conscious agenda of the important parts in today's world that you want to promote and i know one of them was sustainability because again one of the pieces that you co-led was the creation of the uw system wide freshwater collaboration of for wisconsin and again in my mind just because you're a medical educator it doesn't mean sustainability should not be part of that important task for the future for our planet how did that come about and success 
Yeah, the Freshwater Collaborative is an initiative that came naturally out of the UW-Milwaukee uh, campus's history where we, for decades before I even came here, starting in the 1960s, we had a center for Great Lakes Freshwater Research. Um, it, was, it was an institute, and we had some federal and state funds from time to time. But we occupied an old building. It was literally a tile factory that Rockwell, which was a diversified company years ago, today it's much more concentrated on automation, manufacturing automation. They had a tile factory, and it jutted out into the harbor in Milwaukee. <laughs> and it's like, so we took over this abandoned and we have a research vessel that's a Korean War vintage, and we built what became the first and only school of freshwater science in the country, graduate school. Today, we have undergraduate and graduate programs. And I sought more funding for a new research vessel, and the governor at the time said, we can't, we can't probably find any additional support for that if you're not touching the entire state. So I put on my thinking cap and I said, you know, every one of the campuses in the University of Wisconsin system, and I think you could probably find the same in Minnesota, you could go across a lot of our Midwestern states, is on a river, it's on a lake, it's on an estuary, it's part of, and they all have, you know, faculty and research capabilities. Look at in Green Bay, what they're looking at in terms of the research on uh, the dead zones in Green Bay and all the agricultural runoff that's happening because we have so many cows. We have more cows than people. You know, it's like that. And then you have these other grand water challenges. We talk about health and water all the time. Public health issues, when we talk about lead contamination, when we talk about the quality of drinking water because of PFAS, because of the contaminants environmental. So we have all these different health-related issues with water, and many of the grand challenges are very much related to health. So when we think about sustainability, it's environmental, it's life-changing, it's infrastructure, it's how we supply water, it's how we get rid of water, it's how we treat it. You know, I just came back from Israel, and one of the great things that we've learned from Israel is how to get more reuse out of water than any other place in the world. They're the best, hands down, the best at it. We have research partnerships, again, with our university and several Israeli universities because of these types of advances. But what we've tried to do with Freshwater is say, whether you're in a corporate environment, a health department, a medical facility, or any type of organization, the way water is treated, I'll give you a specific example. We have in the healthcare field, we, we, we look at... Um, What's happening, we've got these um, uh, GCMS, the, the mass spectrometry um, uh, work that we can do and we can break down through incredible sophisticated instrumentation what's happening to fish and other species in the Great Lakes because of too much Prozac, because of too many different meds that get flushed down the toilet and into, they go through all the, all the water filtration, all the water treatment. They used to go right on through. They're microscopic particles, as you know, and they get into the food stream. They get into all these different areas. That's a health and sustainability issue if I have not seen one. And so some of this is discharged out of hospitals, but a lot of it's just out of everyday, you know, our home, our homes. And so how we treat that from a policy perspective, these are the types of research issues, but we also are committed to the talent. This, in the last biennial budget, not the current one, was the only thing that received state funding because it's a bipartisan issue, and that's really important. Blue and red folks come together and they say, whether it's around agriculture, tourism, quality of life, health outcomes, water is the most precious resource. We've got to support it better. 
Um, it's why a lot of companies have come. We're a city built around breweries, but it's also a city that with manufacturing, you'd be amazed at how much water is used in manufacturing, it just to, to, to create a car, to create, um, you know, a part of a motorcycle that we're known for. It takes a lot of water for these processes, just like for food and beverage production and, and many, many other things. So this is truly about sustainability and to be a leading only school that also helped create the, the collaborative called the Freshwater Collaborative of Wisconsin to get funding, to grow more faculty, to have more student support, focused research on the grand water challenges. This is a big deal. It's huge. And then, oh, by the way, it's helped us with the funding for that research vessel that I'm about two-thirds to three-fourths of the way. The problem is the target keeps moving because <laughs> the cost of the boat keeps going up as I'm raising funds for it. Uh, but soon we hope to lay the keel for one of the most sophisticated research vessels, certainly on the Great Lakes. It will be hands down the most sophisticated. And we're working with NOAA and others to potentially have uh, great partnerships with other federal agencies that would be very interested in participating in a ship that year-round can go on multi-day trips, take three times the number of students, faculty, and and really uh, up our game to contribute to the significant challenges in freshwater that we face today. What a great project. What a big project. I come from an island in the Mediterranean, right across from Israel. Desalination has been a big part. There were conversations all about what do you do if you desalinate the Mediterranean? Then what happens to the fish? What happens to the rest of the planet? So a lot of pieces that are involved with that. I think, you know, I'm also an anesthesiologist, so a lot of the pieces that come in sustainability is about the anesthetic gases and the environment and so on. So it's certainly medical education is a big part that we uh, can drive this sustainability part or greening the environment. And I think it's an important piece that we can talk uh, for hours about it. Exactly. We're coming to almost to an end of our time together, and we've touched upon so many different things. I do have so many more questions, but perhaps we can do something on another time that we can uh, follow up on some of the pieces that you're doing and improving both education in general, but also some of the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice components and the sustainability aspect that you have taken a lead upon. Advice to educators. So if we were closing off this podcast and here I am an educator, I'm a medical educator, and I have you, the uh, the expert, the, um, the person who can perhaps support me for the future, maybe two or three things that I would leave the listeners with that come uh, dear to your heart that we should know about. Well, thank you, and I am humbled by your kind and supportive opinions, and, and I always have valued you and, and our work together. My thoughts, just in terms of advice, a number of things come to mind. One is around the value of learning ourselves for ourselves and sharing that with others. That's kind of the core, and and you know, so the challenges and 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 you know, if you find yourself in a rut or in a routine. That's a message. And and I think, you know, the question of happiness is underrated. People think, oh, that's trivial or silly. I couldn't tell you how important that is. 
and and finding that and and how that relates to your personal balance. And everybody is different. I could not tell you what's the right balance for you. You may love working 80 hours a week and you're imbalanced if you're working 40. Other people, it's like, nope. And I have colleagues that I try to support at every turn. Some are so rigid and I love it. At six o'clock, they're not going to work. I, I, if, if an emergency rises, I can get them. But in general, they just are very balanced because of what they do and their support for their family. Uh, but they're here and they're working really hard, but they, they have that. And others, <laughs> they kind of drive me crazy. They're you know, at 10 and 11 last night. You, you're working too hard. Quit responding to my emails. I need to get my emails done. You know, so so um, and, and that relates to you know you've got to have fun in in the work that you're doing. So balance, um, keep learning, have fun, and then um, I think I think um, you know you've heard me talk about this a lot. I find that social and emotional intelligence are so important, and if people aren't on a path and if they're not getting feedback around those dimensions of, you know, their empathy, their awareness, self-awareness, uh, their social skills and, and, and those, those abilities, we can all continue to improve. And that to me is such an important, uh, formula for, I think, leadership success, team success, communication. And so I hope that's of interest and, and, and valuable. That's awesome. Happiness, balance, and emotional intelligence. My last question, if you had to name one of your favorite foods, since you were both a chef, a gourmet cook, name one. Oh, boy. my goodness. That's that's interesting. I love Thai cuisine right now. Um, so I've been doing these Thai noodle bowls. My kids are both vegetarians and one is vegan. And the exploration for me today in the vegetarian vegan world, especially around some of the Thai bowls, and noodle dishes with so many vegetables and sauce flavors. That's probably my number one right now. But That's ask awesome. me in a month and it may be different. <laughs> That's awesome. And I can tell you mine, and maybe you can even try it. One of my favorite meals in Cyprus is the the stuffed grape leaves. But instead of being the grape leaf, we use a zucchini flour and then we stuff it with rice. So it's a vegetarian Um dish so love it send me but the recipe send it, me the recipe it's seasonal <laughs> because it, the zucchini flowers only come when yes. they come right. so, well again i appreciate dr moni's time and effort in all of the educational initiatives thank you again for joining us and perhaps we will meet him again in the future from the Medical Education Matters, uh, the Kern Institute uh, podcast initiative. I am Herodotus Elinas, and I am one of the co-hosts for the podcast platform. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. It was a privilege. <laughs>